Thanks, Desiree. Thanks. Well, I'm glad I'm here. And thanks very much to you and Blake for, you know, hosting and for putting us on. This is really great. My name is Alan Bernstein. I'm the president and owner of HR Office Savers. We are a human resources consulting firm. We help small businesses and individuals navigate the complexities of human resources, staffing, compliance, employee relations, um, interview preparation, resume writing, and job search. I've been a human resources professional for 22 years. I worked for companies like Honeywell and Harris Locally. And about a year ago, uh, after speaking with my brother, who owns a small business in California, came to the conclusion that he can't be the only small business owner hiring his second employee that doesn't understand or has not yet learned all the different processes that go into building a business on the personnel side. He had been doing this for three years. He's a, he does a, he's a technology incubator, owns a technology incubator. And he had done a ton of infrastructure with marketing and capital and partners and um, people, uh, third parties, vendors. But when it came time to hire an employee, he had questions. And so from working with my brother, I realized, I mean, there's a lot of companies that are small, which I define as 2 to 15 people, which I'll cover in a little bit because of how the laws are set up. So what I tried to develop today is an overview for, firstly, the small business owner. If you're either currently an owner, operator, manager of a business with less than 15 employees or looking to be soon an owner, operator, or manager of that size of business, that's where the core of this is. But I also try to expand it out to get people to think about if you, if you, let's say you own a larger company, I mean a large, large company, I have a piece in my, can you go to the next slide? I'll show you the agenda. So I wanted to talk a little bit about HR for small business, and then I'm going to cover um, uh, some HR best practices, and then I've got interviewing and staffing as a part of that, and I've got some resources that I can give everyone. I'm going to cover employee handbooks. That's one of the biggest pieces that any small business needs to have. That's about your culture and what you're trying to create. And then I'll spend time later, if we have time, I'll talk a little bit more about the company and how we can help. But I really wanted to design this training as just that, a teaching opportunity. Please be interactive. If you have any questions about your process, and it could be something that has nothing to do with your current business. I mean, when I do these talks, I get questions about three jobs ago, I was treated unfairly, and I felt like the company didn't support me, and what should I do next time? And that's okay. Anything is, is up for discussion. So if you can go to the next slide, Desiree, please. Thank you. So first thing I want to talk about, human resource management. When people think about HR, I still remember when I first started my business about a year ago, I was having lunch with someone who had been a solo, well, she was, a, she was an independent contractor in a sales position for 30 years. And she said, okay, so tell me more about what you do, which is a standard common question. But then her question was more specific. She said, I don't understand, what is human resources? I don't know what HR is. I hadn't had that question in probably 22 years since I first started the business. So I had to think a little bit differently about how I present. So I start with baselining what we do. HR is really the baseline. It's, it's what you do with your people. It's like IT is what you do with your systems at a very basic level. I know you guys have a lot more to do with that. But HR is just about your personnel. And if you think about your personnel, it could be paychecks, it could be bookkeeping, it could be hiring, it could be performance management, it could be any of those things. But it's a big responsibility. It sets the tone and the culture. It's the day-to-day. If you're a small business owner, you are HR. You're doing HR. You are the HR generalist. You are the HR representative. 
So this tells you a little bit deeper about some of the things you may need to do as the solo entrepreneur or as a small business owner without the infrastructure to help. Can you go to the next slide? The thing I really like about what I do for a living is it, we, we live in a world of gray. People think that policies, procedures, hiring, firing, it's very, one, it's very binary. It's not. There's a lot of nuances that go into the process. And, and I, I have on here, it doesn't fit neatly into a spreadsheet. We all like spreadsheets, right? We like our day-to-day. We like our boxes. There's not a lot of boxes when it comes to human resources. For anyone, and, and quick poll, how many of you have been in a managerial position either currently or previously in your careers? Right? So sometimes you inherit an employee. Sometimes you hire an employee. Sometimes you have to make changes, which are sometimes in the best interest of that employer or that company. There's no box, right? Everybody's different. You have your way of managing. You have your company's culture. You have your individual employee's way of doing things. You try to put them all together, and there's a lot of give and take, just like any other relationship. You go to the next slide. I want to leave you, if nothing else, every business, when you start, you need to think about this. You should have, if you have an employee, one employee, you should have employee files. In your employee files, you should have three employee files. You should have, does everybody know what an I, if you don't know, I would suggest you don't raise your hand and say this, but do you know what an I-9 form is, <laughs> right? So everybody, every employee you hire, you need to validate they are legally eligible to work in the United States. And you read, hopefully, well, maybe not hopefully, but you may read in the paper about raids in some areas where, you know, a business professional office is not always ripe for some kind of raid from immigration, but... If they were to ask you, if they were to audit your files and they were to say, do you have an I-9 form and you don't, and it's a simple, honest mistake, you may or may not have an opportunity to fix it, but fines can reach in the thousands of dollars per infraction. So imagine if you're a small business with one or two people, you may not even be able to afford a few thousand dollars. But now imagine if you have 10 people. Now imagine if you're you know, some kind of laborer and you've got you know, 20 employees on the books and then they go to look at your books and then it becomes a gateway issue where they look at other pieces of your business. Anyway, have an I-9 form. Have three different files. You have an employee file. So you're going to include application and resume or whatever it is you do, background checks, anything that has to do with an employee's employment. You're going to have an I-9, and you're keeping the I-9 separate, by the way, so it's handy and ready in case immigration comes in. So the law doesn't specifically say you need a separate file, but you should. It's easier to keep, especially I talked to one company with 200 employees, and they kept their I-9s inside the employee files. They had them. But now if immigration comes in, how patient do you think they'll be while the owner looks for 200 I-9 forms? So it's better to keep them separate. And then the third one is the medical. If you don't offer medical insurance, you might think you don't need another file, and maybe you don't. But what about workers' comp? What about doctor's notes, right? If your handbook, which we'll cover, says that you need to show me a note if you're out too long, so you want to keep three different files. An employee handbook is a really big deal. This is the culture of your organization. This is what time does work start, what time does work end, how do we feel about harassment, how do we do drug testing, um, do we have uh, breastfeeding mother's policy because we want to give folks an opportunity to take breaks if they're nursing, do we, have, do we offer breaks? Florida law is very employer-friendly which means that you don't have to do it. There's a lot of things you may or may not have to do. You usually don't have to. Like you're not required to offer breaks during the day. So stuff like that, you make a decision on what you want to do as an employer, and we can work with that. And then don't go it alone. 
I mean, when you think about opening up your business and maybe getting, you know, getting your LLC or your S Corp or your banking or your bookkeeping, right? we all try to do things ourselves, right? But I kind of liken it. The way I think about it is when I opened up my business, I first went to SBA. Sorry, sorry. I first went to SBA. We'll have to review your handbook and see if... <laughs> Personal phone, all right. So that's a good one, right? So I've got a, I've got a company, I've got a customer, right? And that's okay, Jesse. I appreciate you, you segueing into a real-life example. So I've got, I've got um, a company I've worked with where they don't want any personal phones on premises, right? When you walk into their premises, you leave your phone in your car or you leave it off in your pocket, whatever. I mean, if the, the policy, I'm, I had them rewrite the policy so it's, you can't even bring your phone on, on premises because it gets them into trouble, right? Somebody turns it on, they have an emergency, right? We didn't talk about ringtones, though. We probably need to talk about that. <laughs> Offensive ringtones, harassing ringtones. We'll cover harassment. So you can put all that stuff in your policy. Do you want personal phones on premises or not? What if there's an emergency? How do you handle emergencies? What if you say no personal phones and you don't make a contingency plan for emergencies and then there is an emergency and somebody gets hurt and then you as a company might be liable, might not. So we kind of walk through a lot of that stuff. But the don't go it alone is really important. When I opened up my business, my first stop was the SBA, the Small Business Administration website, right? It's a free site. You can do, build all kinds of company stuff. And I was like, well, that's a little complex for me. I don't know if I can really do all this S-Corp, LLC. I just didn't have it in. I just didn't get it. So then I went to like LegalZoom and Rocket Lawyer. I forget what they're all called. And they were cheaper. They still charged a fee plus all the filing fees. And then I went to a lawyer. And I eventually had a business attorney do my S-Corp for me because I wanted it done that way. That's where your don't go it alone comes in. At some point, you really, hello? At some point, you really want to have help. Whether that help is like my brother calls me when he has help, or I come here and we collaborate as network partners, or you hire an employment lawyer, or a human resource consultant, or your friend next door that's run 14 companies and they know it, don't go it alone. There's no need to. But of course you want to find a professional. I also put in a a slide can you go back one? I think there's one more. I just want to show this. Yeah, I started a slide. The next one's good, too. They're, these kind of um, coincide. But if you're going to think about starting your own, remember, this doesn't have to be hiring an HR person in your office. Most small companies, even under 50, even under 100 for that matter, once you get to about 100 people, 75, you probably want to think about hiring a full-time HR person. But if you're like under 20, maybe 15, you're probably doing it yourself. Once you reach 30-ish, you probably want to think about your administrative assistant, getting them trained or certified in human resource process, and I've got resources to show you that too. This is what you got to think about when you're doing HR, right? Everything from staffing to payroll to job descriptions to pay structure, things that we kind of take for granted, right? If you've never done this yourself, if you've never actually been responsible solely as an entrepreneur, as a business owner for hiring, think about what goes into that. Right? If you've never hired on your own, but you've only done it, we raised our hands before about having employers or have previously had employees. We've also probably, many of us have worked in corporations before where these companies had processes. We take that for granted. Right? We don't appreciate all the stuff that goes into selecting. Do I post on Craigslist? Do I post on LinkedIn? Do I put an ad in the paper? How do I find people? What's my referral process? How do I do this? You kind of think, oh, I need somebody. Let's call so-and-so or let's talk to the people here. At about five or six employees, you run out of your center of influence. 
That's the statistic. Once you reach that number, you kind of need to go outside. So get your staffing plan going. Your handbook, safety procedures. Can you go to the next slide, please? This is something that I've developed, even in corporate, but more so as an independent, uh, as an individual doing what I do. This is when I go into a company and I help audit their, their HR processes. These are the things I look for. What's your strategy? That should be pretty basic, right? What do you want your company to look like? Do I want an administrative assistant? Do I want a right hand, a left hand? Am I going to have an office manager? How am I going to build this? And we help. I mean, we talk this through, but this is what I want to know is how far along the process are you? I've talked to companies that are already there and all they need help with is staffing, but you don't know that. So kind of we'll think this through. Payroll, right? How do you pay people? Have you thought about what's the mechanism for paying? Am I going to put you know, $200 in a paper bag every Friday or am I going to you know, hire a company to do this for me and I'm going to do my own QuickBooks? How are you going to do it? Policies, which is about stra- um, culture also, but what's your policy? What's your policy for work hours? What's your policy for dress code? Right? What's your policy for moving furniture? Especially look at a place like this. I mean, I don't know what your all rent situations or your contracts, but are you allowed to move furniture? And if you aren't, do we all know that? And if you are, what if somebody gets hurt moving it? So think about what happens if, 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 and then we kind of solve for that. Hey, Deb, thanks for coming. Salary administration, <clears throat> excuse me, so what's our thoughts about salary? Do you want to pay standard hourly wage? When do you want to give somebody a raise? What's that thought process? Because you want to do this when people come in the door, too. Everybody wants to know about this stuff. Benefits, recruitment, what's your hiring process, orientation, performance. I highlighted files. I hit that a little bit before. But I can tell you anecdotally, I haven't done the actual science, but about half of the owners or managers I speak with, they don't have a formal filing process. So even the one I mentioned before about the 200-person company that puts their I-9s in a file, they have a filing process. I would encourage them to have a separate I-9 file, but the fact is they have it. What about the companies that don't even do I-9s? do you want me to save my question? No, not at all. Please. Oh, so I have a question about maintaining the files because, mm-hmm. like, even though I'm only, I think, four employees, I still have an I-9 requirement. Yes, of course. Um, One employee is I-9. Is, uh, right. Is, is there a requirement to keep paper files? Because what we're doing right now, I think we have paper files mm-hmm. of this size, but they're a pain... Mm-hmm. And stuff gets lost. That's right. Papers walk away from employee mm-hmm. files all the time, believe me. I do. Um, and so what I, What we do is we scan everything in mm-hmm. and we have a file for everybody electronically. Now if I get, like, for instance, an I-9 audit, can I just go to my electronic file and then print up the scanned copy? Or is there a requirement that the, mm-hmm. like, does USCIS require the original? No, you can, you can scan, you can save, as long as you have it. The, the concerns that you'd want to have are privacy, so make sure that that's a, a secure file somewhere, because if you're writing down, let's say, a social security number, and there's a privacy factor involved, and that number gets out, you're liable for that. Okay. But that's okay. There's also, a, there's also a system called E-Verify, if you haven't heard of that. So the state of Florida does not require yet that you use E-Verify, but E-Verify is the electronic I-9 system which also verifies additional aspects than just I-9. If you ever filled out an I-9, you have to look at, and you're not allowed to tell the employee what to bring, but you pull, normally it's like a passport, and if they don't have a passport, they'll bring a driver's license, social security number, or immigration papers, or something that says they're legally eligible to work. The e-verify system is all electronic, Mm -hmm. 
that's already stored with the immigration service. So there wouldn't be as much, you just have to show that you have it versus pull out all the files. But still, I-9 is the traditional way to do it because it's cheap, it's easy, it's free. And you just have to pull it off. Yes, ma'am. Um, I know since you know, we do business law, we have a lot of people who are bootstrapping and mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I don't have employees, I have contractors. Mm-hmm. And they get away with that for a limited amount of time until obviously their payroll mm-hmm. budget increases That's right. for full-time people. Mm-hmm. So what constitutes like the difference as far as like the when you need HR, because I know you said a 30 employee threshold, yeah. what if you have 30 contractors That's right. or um, uh-huh. the or the immigration process is the same. They're not. An independent contract... Go ahead. Well, wouldn't that be the W-9? Yeah, the that's right. Yeah. So the, the independent contractors work off of what's called a 1099, which is typically you pay them directly. You're not supposed to direct their work, and they're supposed to give you like a project plan, so you pay them either by the project or... I mean, you can pay hourly or some kind of level, but you don't direct their work. The, the problem with what you just asked about, Desiree, or the concern is more the classification of what people are. Too many times we think we're going to hire someone as an independent contractor and still direct their work and still treat them like an employee, which is also a problem. So if you have an employee, and there's definitions of employees that, I mean, I don't have it in here and we can get into offline, but once you get into the definition of employee and you decide, and there is a note in here I put in about making sure you classify your workers properly. Are they classified as exempt, which means they're salaried? Are they non-exempt, which means they're hourly? Are they an independent contractor, which means that you don't direct their work and you can, but if you treat them like an employee, then they should be an employee. Many people hire independent, independent contractors because they don't want to pay all the workers' comp and taxes and all the other stuff. It, it works out to be usually cheaper to hire them as independent contractors. But no, you don't have to do an I-9 for that. But there's other forms you have to do to pay them. It's cheaper until they get audited. It's cheaper until you get audited. These aren't any contractors at all. That's my question. If you get audited, is it the IRS that kind of makes the determination? No, they're really employees. Then at that point, you would be fined or... That's right. I think it's the IRS. I'm not sure exactly the governing body. But yeah, I mean, I talked to one one person um, just in my network who was approved by the Florida Department of Revenue to hire independent contractors for a company. But the federal... IRS or Department of Revenue, whatever that governing body was, disclaimed it. They wouldn't let her do it. And so even though she had documentation from the Florida State Revenue Department, she still had to pay the fines to the federal. It wasn't, she wasn't indicted or there's nothing illegal. It was just a fine because she had documentation. But it is federal. You're right. They make the decision. And there's laws. I mean, there's rules about it. It's like yesterday, um, Austin and I were talking about, well, a couple of days ago, but yesterday we joked about interns. Right? How do you hire an intern and do you have to pay an intern, not pay an intern? And there's rules around that. And as long as you follow the rules, you're okay. It's when people start to make their own rules or they think that rules are gray that they get into trouble. Well, that's up to you. That's up to how you set it up and what the client is. I mean, you, they wouldn't be under yours. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if it's a all-encompassing. It might be. I don't know that it is. I think it has to do with what the client is and what, your, what the work is. Yeah. Wrong hire is going to cost you guys a ton of money. It costs, there's, a, there's all kinds of different views on how much it costs to replace someone, but generally speaking, a bad hire costs 50% 
of the salary of the person you're replacing. So if you really prorated that out, you're looking at 1.5x, right? So if I'm paying you $50,000 and I did a bad hire, I just, I'm going to spend before and after 25. That's lost income to my business, roughly half of that. Just on replacing, training, lost business, possibly some branding, right? Stuff that goes on. You just got to think how that works out. So wrong hires are incredibly um, problematic. Um, no job definitions. When you hire someone, they need to know what they're doing. Most of my performance management discussions with owners and managers have to do with employees not being clear on the owner's or manager's expectations. And that starts with job descriptions. What did you actually hire this person to do? Then it leads into performance documentation, which we can talk about. When you have a performance discussion with an employee, you absolutely should be documenting that. Because... Six months from now, one year from now, you're not going to remember that conversation. You just remember your emotion. You remember you were angry. You remember maybe it worked out well. Whatever. Whatever the emotion is you remember, I promise you your employee thinks of it differently. Your employee will remember it differently. And you know that when you have the conversation. So document your stuff. And a side note, document facts. Don't put your, if you want to put a feeling into a performance documentation or something, make it a summary. So start with, and I've got at least one lawyer, two lawyers in the room. You'll tell me the same thing, I bet. Facts are facts are facts, right? What did we talk about? When did we talk about it? What was the outcome of the discussion? What are the next steps? Now put your feeling into it. I felt like it was a good discussion, and I'm, and I'm hopeful that um, employee will perform better. Or that was another really hard discussion. Employee is not getting it, right? Just You can summarize if you want with a feeling, but when you go through all the processes later for termination or discovery or it gets into some kind of court case, that's all going to be important to document. So make sure you do the facts. Ignoring employment laws. Like what do they say? Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Employment laws are no different. You have to know you need an I-9 form. Whenever, there's an old, all right, I'm going to age myself here, but there was an old Steve Martin joke about how to become a millionaire and never pay taxes. It's like, first, get a million dollars, right? Which is silly, right? Then he says, when the tax man comes to collect your money, say, I forgot. I, how is that going to work, right? I thought it was funny 30 years ago. So <laughs> ignore employment law is bad. You, there is no excuse for ignorance of the law. It's everywhere. I put six resources, I think it's six, later on in the deck that are just free. Small Business Association, Department of Labor, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, um, score is free. There's all kinds of opportunities to just get baselined on what this is. This stuff should help you too. Let me just give you some areas to go. And then improper classification. We talked about that earlier when it comes to uh, exempt, non-exempt, independent contractors, what we talked about before. You got to know, is your person truly an independent contractor? If you're going to pay them as an independent contractor, that is the, any big company will have the less independent contractors, the better, because it is so hard to prove that somebody is truly independent. There are some, classific- some job classifications or employment areas, like real estate, is insurance. Those are pretty commonly accepted that independent contractors are okay, but not everywhere, right? What about drivers? You're telling them where to go and when to go. Then you start getting into directing work. You're telling them, you know, speed- well, speeds are different because that's law. You just got to be careful. So that's where I can help with some of that discussion. But as I mentioned before, employment lawyers, they do this stuff every day when it comes to defending you. So we work from there. All right, next slide. Um, yes, sir. The last one, you said the wrong hires yeah. cost you one 
1.5%. Yeah, anecdotally. Yeah, this yeah. multiplier 1.5. So is that, that's an aggregate of like retraining and all the other costs that's right. associated with having a bad that's right. fit? That's right. That's right. Not like Post or something. No, 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 no. Well, no, Could that's be, not included. Yeah, no, we're talking. We're talking about. I mean, obviously, right? The smaller, the smaller your business, or the lower the position, maybe the cheaper it is. But the higher level of position, or the more out there the person is, it can be more expensive. So if you look, if you if you hire a bad salesperson, how much lost sales, right? So there's an average in there. It's a whether you call it cumulative or aggregate or average. But no, it's not fines. It's not illegal Just stuff. Based on statistics, that's what. That's right. Cost of advertising, my cost for interviewing. Right, you break down your hourly cost. You're taking away from your business. You're taking away. You're adding in all the time you wasted up front to interview and select the right person or the, the wrong person. That's what I, yeah, I just wanted to clarify, was it like yep. because of retraining and other yeah. situations? No, it's not, a, there's no, not no. Not like a fine thing. No, like that's not included in there. That's like a whole, that's more than 1.5. That's right, yeah. that's right. He touched on it with drivers. I know the yeah. gentleman with the cab company actually got fined because he was scheduling his drivers by creating their, even though they were independent contractors, right. he had a whiteboard with a schedule that said from 9 to 5, you're driving, and that made them an employee. That's right. So he was directing that, their work, right? Does that apply, say, to something like a security company? Mm-hmm. If you're creating a schedule for someone where they need to be at a specific post from a certain hour to a certain mm-hmm. hour, do they still qualify as a 1099, or are you pushing the gray area? Probably pushing, but it becomes very individualized or very very specific to the group. So if you think about, like... Um, Let's go back to real estate and insurance, right? Those are generally classified, commonly acceptable independent contractor types of positions. Security, I don't know, may or may not be. So not to say you couldn't hire an independent contractor if you were in a security or an HR field, but on the surface, people don't do independent contractor work for HR, not normally. They do, it's more project-based. So I'd have to look more at your industry and then we could probably make an informed decision. You have different levels of, of gray or flexibility depending on those factors. And there's, there's, I mean, easy to find on Google, just do a search on what court says or what some cases are. And then when you're ready to make, when you have your mindset culturally, strategically on what you want to go forward with, go talk to a professional about whether that makes sense. Let them talk you into or out of it. Because they're the ones that are going to have to defend you. I mean, when I do an employee handbook for someone, it's certainly up to the company to sign off on it and say, but I have a stake in this, right? I'm the one that's building it for them. I've got to help them sign off on this. So it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, I couldn't tell you specifically for your industry, but, you know, we, in my world, we do what we call the sniff test, right? If it smells bad, it might be. So you kind of just, we all, I personally, I'm more conservative when it comes to HR. I've worked for big companies in the government sector. I've also worked for small companies. But every, a lot of places I've worked have been much more on the, I'd rather not take that risk. But you could. And then we decide, we know what the rules are, and then we decide the risk. Oh. You go to the next slide. Oh, I'm sorry, wait, I didn't do this one yet. So I talked a little bit about this earlier, about the rights of employees. And, and if you're an employee, hopefully you're taking some of this in also, because this is helpful to you at some level. But every employee, there's a lot, the laws are talking about once you reach 15 people, you have to worry about the EEOC is involved in discrimination claims. Once you reach 20 and then 50 and then 100, there's other groups like OSHA and EEOC gets really involved in other stuff too. You got Family Medical Leave Act. (coughs) Regardless, if you have one employee, they have right to safety, they have right to privacy, they have the right to fair labor practices, which really means fair pay. 
This is really important. So you can't discriminate against a female or a male pay-wise. If you're going to pay $15 an hour for a position, it can't matter if that person's male or female. I know that sounds obvious to those of us in this room that are professionally based, but some people don't think that way. I mean, there are some customers that will think, I shouldn't say customers, there are some employers that may think, well, you know, this work is ladies' work, and if I hire a guy, I don't need to pay him as much because he's not going to stay as long, and it's not really a career. That's not how it works. You got to pay fair wages for the job. The right to privacy, the right to freedom of discrimination, the right to safety. Um, I'm going to take this to the, a little bit nth, well, third or fourth level. But think about safety for a second, right? Bill, building's been coded. We all feel pretty safe. How's the elevator? Right, Trevor and I <laughs> joked about that, right? But think about this also, right? So think about worst case scenario, right? There's a fire. It's a bomb scare. Something's going on where we have to evacuate the building. Are all the exits freely accessible? Are they blocked in any way that would create a hazard? What if there's, you know, I mean, we have an exit door right there, right? What if there's drywall on the other side of that door? That's not an exit then. But we have an exit door there. We have an exit door there. We have an exit door there. All free, all open, right? So you guys have a really good job of of making this a safe place. But what if you just got a shipment of 10 boxes of paper? Because we know, God knows how much we use paper at the paper clinic, right? So you just got a whole shipment of paper, and you have nowhere to stack it, so you stack it up against that wall and that wall, and now you've got a table, and you've got people sitting around the table, and all of a sudden, we got something, we got to evacuate the building, and somebody trips and falls. Was that preventable? Sure. Right? So a good lawyer would, would argue... Of course it wasn't preventable. It was chaos and people are running everywhere and those boxes of paper did not prevent someone from leaving properly, right? But a good HR person would make sure that that wasn't even a problem to begin with because you want clear and easy access. Those are the types of things that we look for that I want you guys to think about looking for too. We don't think about that, right? We think about ease of use and quality, but you have to think about the safety pieces too. So if you can go to the next slide. Oh, my harassment video. I like this video. So I'm going to talk a little bit about um, harassment in the workplace. Um, give you something to think about there also. So hopefully this will play. I got another story for you. You've got to keep this in the download. Your secret safe with us, Des. Okay. So this involves a very well-known company in the area. So you can't say anything. Will you stop toying with us? Who is it? I can't tell you. Come on. So my friend works at this company. A friend? Yes, Raina. Right. Will you let him tell the story? What happened? They treat him like dirt. He's of his age. How old is he? 24. I thought you were going to say he was older, like 60 or something. Older workers aren't the only ones getting treated unfairly in the workplace. There are more and more cases involving younger Makes sense, I guess. We all just let him talk. So my friend noticed right away that this company had a culture of not respecting younger employees. Look, I know we have to work together, but you and I both know that you'll be moving on as soon as you think somebody out there has a better deal for you. You know what I mean? Your generation just expects everything to be handed to them on a silver platter. I don't think that's true. I've worked for... Why not you just go off and start your own internet company so you can become a millionaire so I can get on with my work? Why don't carry my weight around here? All I need you to tell me is the sysadmin password. Do you know how many people I see come through this department? The last thing I want to do is hold any more hands around here, especially some kids straight out of college. 
You have to support your job description. You share critical information with coworkers. <laughs> uh, what's this? Bring your kid to work day? Mm -hmm. Where's your dad? <laughs> <laughs> Where's your dad? <laughs> He works longer hours and is more loyal to that place than anyone. He even goes in on Saturdays just to catch up on stuff. Does his boss consider any of that? Nope. But didn't his boss hire him in the first place? No. The new manager is doing everything he can to make my friend leave. He was just telling me about his performance appraisal last week. As far as the pay raise, I'm afraid we can't offer you that right now. We feel the rest of the department would take it to the person your age and with experience was getting this. That's where I keep going. Let's go one more time, see if it stops again. This is fun. That's not experience, son. That's tinkering. You have the morale of my department to keep in mind. So the decision stands. And you don't have to like it. And if you don't like it, you can just get up and walk right out that door. Because kids like you, down it doesn't. Well, excuse my French, but that's just baloney. What a jerk. Yeah, it's really uncool. It's too bad they can't just concentrate on your friend's abilities and leave the age thing out of the equation. Has he complained to someone in higher management? Well, that's part of the problem. He doesn't want to get labeled as a complainer and perpetuate the stigma that our generation is just a bunch of whiners. You know, a lot of people don't realize that this is the first time in history that there are four generations in the workplace. That's a lot of different cultures trying to get along in one place. And guess what the guy was doing when he hit me? Talking on the phone. Worse, texting. Can you believe it? That is so dangerous. Possess us, people. I tell you, I am so sick of technology. Everyone talks about how it makes your life better, how we're all more productive, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm sick of it. I am sick of all of it. Let's go and give you a nice, relaxing scalp massage. Time to go, Buffalo. Yeah, so I like this because it picks on the younger generation and it picks specifically on age, which when we think about age discrimination, we don't think about younger folks. We think about elder, and over 40 is a protected class in the United States. So we think about that for older, right? Over 40? Over 40. Wow. Over 40. There, are, there. Are, what's that? What class is that? You're protected, but you're not protected as a solopreneur. You're protected only in bigger companies from discrimination because of your age. As a citizen, as an over forty worker. How new is that? So think about age, race, sex, nationality. Those are all protected classes, which is where you get into fifteen or more employees. You got to worry about um, Title Seven from when you're interviewing and or managing people, you can't discriminate because of age. Now, that doesn't mean I have to hire you because you're an old man at 40. <laughs> but it means I can't say I can't hire you because you're 40. See, we can discriminate against you. Oh. We, I have to say that was, uh, that was quite a, a ringtone for a man of your age. In my defense, that, that was from the, the, the live. Let's say hypothetically I have a security company. Now, how much does that, how much does your actual job classification affect that? Because obviously, if I'm, if I've got a security company, you know, I want a bunch of, you know, yeah. five-year-old this. Sure. And then, you know, if, if, you know, I don't want to say 40, but 
50, 55, sure. things start breaking down and you're working a high risk job, right. you know, like. So all that means, all of that means you can't use those as decision makers when it comes to hiring. You have to decide, can this person do the job based on the merits of the job and the merits of the person? So for you to say a 40-year-old can't be as productive or strong or as defensive or as protective as a 39-year-old is discriminatory. So because you might get like a 55-year-old guy in there, like Mike from Breaking Bad, and you're just like, yep, that's my security guy. He's like old. It's about, it's about it's the quality. It's about quali- deciding if he can do it. It's the job. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's right. That's exactly right. That's right. Now, if, if I walked in and Steve walked in, and you're like, I think I'd rather have Steve on my security detail than Alan, you can still hire Steve if Alan's more qualified, which how would we prove that, right? Because in your job description, you want to know, uh, that's right, regular lifting, carrying. Sure, you have to prove I can't. But now we also talk about experience and background, certifications, qualifications, um, hands-on boxing or self-defense or you know, yellow belt, whatever belt, you, right? So you put that into your job description. And if I have it and Steve has it, you have to decide who's more qualified. If you choose Steve over me, you run the risk of me saying, I didn't get hired because I'm older. Now, as a small company, the risk of you getting, of that going anywhere is lower because the EEOC won't take it if it's, well, they might, but they're not, if it's under 15 employees, mm-hmm. it's just not part of that solution. But right. that's discrimination. If you chose Steve over me because he's younger than me, you discriminated. Okay. If you chose Steve over me because you liked him better, better conversation, right? Or you just feel better, that's fine. That's perfectly okay. You can't discriminate. You can't discriminate because of race, because of color, nationality, gender, age, all that stuff. So just keep your discrimination internal. That's right. What if we hired you because you guys more a better temperament? Yeah. You have the same qualifications, but you have the... Temperament is not temperament is not a protected class. So I'll give you another example. I'll give you a real life example. I worked for a company where we were hiring um, we were hiring new college graduates and interns, and we had a um, an internal strategy that we were going to hire seventy per, well whatever the number was it doesn't matter but we were going to hire most of our people from these specific ten schools. I was able to say I'm not going to hire you because you're not from one of these 10 schools. You might think on the surface that's discriminatory, but because it's a part of our corporate strategy and our culture, and schools are not protected, but I could use that as a reason. You could say, I'm not hiring this guy because I thought he was a jerk, but I'm gonna hire this guy because he was nice. As long as we're both qualified, it's perfectly okay. So it's about protected classes, what the government calls protected classes, and what your mindset is. What's your intent? Right? If you're intending to build an all-male, all-white, 50-plus-year-old group, that's a problem. Right? Now you're discriminating. That's your intent. But it also works the other way. If your intent is to hire only, because I also had a company that also got in trouble because they would not hire non-diverse people. All they wanted to hire were females and people of color. And so there was a contingent of white men in the, in the company that made a claim. And so they didn't go any farther than internal, but they certainly had to re- redo their processes and policies because you can't discriminate. Yes? Alan, 
also have to, does that apply to interviewing? Because I'm in that 50 to 55. That's right. I'm self-employed, but I have a lot of friends who recently have tried to find jobs, and they're very, very qualified, years and years of qualification, but they're not even getting interviewed. The selection process is included. Okay. Now, on the flip side of that, a company is not required to tell you why they didn't hire you or why they didn't interview you, yeah. right? So what do you do with that? Right? So now it's the burden of proof becomes on us as candidates, your friends, to say they didn't want to talk to me because I'm over 50. So if the company's keeping good records, which I also coach you to do is keep good records. Remember I told you about performance documentation? As a small business, again, you don't have a lot of proactive reporting requirements when it comes to human resources, but you better be ready for to get audited or to be asked a question. So why did you hire, as a small company, you're probably not going to get asked this. Your risk is very, very low if you're under 15 employees. But once you reach a decent-sized company, that company keeps, should keep very good records on everybody they've, um, that has applied to the job, that they've interviewed, that they've selected for interview. That's where you get into problems. Yes? Like, I've done, like, open houses for, to recruit new employees. Uh-huh. Are we, can, are you, can you write? Like, if someone, I had a guy that was a complete jerk. And I'm like, I just don't want, you mm-hmm. can't write this person's complete jerk. This is why I didn't hire them. Like, I mean, even if they have or not the qualifications, just, you know. Yeah. Better. Not everybody interviews uh, well or acts professional sure, in a job sure. interview either. So, so let's go back to the feelings piece. This person's a complete jerk is not as good as saying, this person interrupted me when I spoke. They were not answering my questions directly. And I felt that they would not be a good personality match with what I'm building. So just edit it. Basically right. say why they were a complete jerk, right. not that they were. That's right. Okay. Le- leave, out, leave out the subjectivity. <laughs> Think about objectivity. So it's probably not going to get you in trouble for something like that because you don't have to hire a jerk. Right. Right? But you try to not document stuff that becomes very subjective. Because right? what, if, what if the other person you hired is a jerk? Mm. Right? Now all of a sudden you've got it wasn't because I was a jerk. It was because I'm, I just turned 40, right? And I'm of Hispanic descent, and I know she didn't want to, right? So that's why you got to be careful about being too, yeah. So when you say under 15, uh-huh. you wouldn't look at, does that 15 full-time or just 15 employees? 15 employees. Full-time? Full-time, part-time, temporary. The employment cl- categories are defined by, people that you're paying a salary to or an hourly wage or somebody that's on your books as an employee, which is another reason why people do independent contractors you know, illegally. 15, so the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, when you reach 15, they get involved in discrimination. But I had a conversation recently. OSHA, gosh, off the top of my head, I want to say 20. If you have a, um, some kind of accident at work and there's reporting things for OSHA, they really don't get involved until you reach a certain... Um, number of employees too, which I think is 20. Don't, you know, don't make me swear that, but I think it's 20. Anyway, I was speaking with an employment lawyer friend of mine who ha- was defending a case where OSHA did get involved with a 12-person company. So I've come to learn that, well, I already knew it, but I, normally, why would they do that, right? They're busy, they got enough cases, but... Yeah, and then it's their choice. I mean, think about any other court case, right? It's their choice to go after it. I've got this next slide after this talks about the EEOC and harassment claims. Whatever the number was, 90,000, I forget the exact number, but less than 25% of those actually get called, right? Most people keep harassment to themselves. They don't make a claim for it. 
and a very good portion of those get settled out of court. So a claim goes to the EEOC, the EEOC will say settle it, and if you don't settle it, then they make a decision, but they'll do a lot of stuff before it gets to court. But the dollar value is just tremendous, $164 million. I mean, we all heard about what's recent, right? Roseanne Barr, Harvey Weinstein, um, CBS. Les Moonves, right? He had to resign. But I, the, one, the one that really struck me the most just in my world is the Roseanne thing, right? Because she said something stupid on social media, mm-hmm. violated Disney policy, and got fired. Well, it wasn't just her getting fired, like Les steps down, right? But think about Harvey and Roseanne. Their whole business is crumbled. So Roseanne specifically, you got, what, 200 people? That, well, they're back to work now. But they, went, they were out of work. And these aren't just big actors that make all this money, right? These are people that may work behind the scenes, that they're, oh, they work week to... So there's a lot of impact that goes into some of this stuff that you've got to watch out for. But these are some pretty telling statistics, the amount of money that gets paid and, you know, what happens. So if you want to go to the next slide, um, that's my HR for small business piece. That's where I want to just ground everybody on what you need to know for HR. I added a component, if we want to go to it, about the employee handbook. I think this will be helpful, too. It's just a few slides. But I wanted to give you, um, as Desiree and I talked about what we're going to do today, we wanted to give you, hopefully this gave you some tools and good discussion, right, something to talk about. This is going to give you some information on when you do a handbook. You got, there's no law that says you have to do a handbook. Let's start there. But also let's go to, hey, Blake, what's the, you know, what's the office hours? Where is it written? How is it, right? You guys have a handbook. It was the first thing I looked at when I got here, right? We do. You have to have that. I think you do. So it's a choice. You can do it yourself. There's a ton of <laughs> online capability. You can go through. SBA has one. Uh, Department of Labor has one. Um, small, what is the, um, I forget. It's, it's on my, one of my slides, but there's ways you can do this. I help you with it too. But anyway, if you want, this is, um, it's really a book of policies. Policies, procedures, practices, the bigger you get, the more you're going to split those out. At some point, you'll have what some big companies call code of conduct, what some big companies call a policy manual versus an employee handbook versus policies and procedures. Sometimes they have practice documents, which is beyond just a policy. And then they split up how you define policy versus practice versus procedure. As a smaller business, build yourself something that's 20 to 30 pages that talks about some of the basics, like, and I'll have this on here, but employment at will. Florida is an employment at will state, which means you can quit or get fired for any or no reason except discrimination. And if that happens, but you can't, right? You, if, you, if you get hired for discrimination, if you get fired for discrimination, that's a bigger problem. But employment at will, um, you want to talk about a harassment policy, you should have a stance on harassment. We don't tolerate it. You should have a stance on smoking in the office. You should have a stance on um, hours, on vacation. Uh, stuff that's time off, have a stance. Have something that your employees can come in and they know kind of the expectations, much like I said before about a job description. So if you want to go to the next slide. The biggest thing for me, and this is what I talk to companies about informally and formally, your handbook is the culture. This is what you're setting up so your employees know how you think, act, and feel as an organization. Some of it's very black and white, like your employment at will or your harassment policy. Others of it are, um, how many holidays do you have? I've got one client that has two holidays a year and no vacation policy. That's their culture. I have another company I'm working with that has added, I mentioned before, a breastfeeding mother's policy, right? Because it's important that they have, it's important to this owner 
that they have that culture in the organization that they understand that they're promoting that type of camaraderie and, and enjoyment. Anyway, you want to think about all these things, verbal harassment versus physical harassment, or make more paragraphs on different types of harassment. It's really up to you. It becomes your company culture. The thing I will caution you about a handbook, I said every company should have a handbook. Just know that once you have a handbook, it's basically law, right? So this is what your employee is going to use to defend their process. This is what you're going to use to defend your process. Even if you have, and when I say law, I mean that term loosely for the lawyers in the room. This is not specifically a legal document, but it will be used in legal proceedings. Even if you have a lawyer look at it, it still becomes part of your day-to-day process, but I think it's helpful. How often should you review and change some of that stuff? Because like the ADA, that recently just changed. That's right. I would say once a year. Once a year. Yeah. Um, depending on small, right? So small, small, it's your first handbook. Next year. If you've had a handbook and you've started hiring employees, and especially if you've seen turnover, maybe every six months. Um, but this goes back, great question, because this goes back to knowing the law. You know that ADA changed, so therefore you know you have to go back in there. So if your handbook doesn't get updated with laws that change, that's on you. So it's, I'm glad you, you knew that and to go back to it. Yeah, I would say that. I mean, some companies will do it more than that. Some companies do it less. I talked to one person who hasn't done theirs in a decade. So now we're redoing it. Oh. And not every company is going to need all these things, right? But this is just some stuff that we put in there. All right. Yes. Yep. So there are tons of studies, and conventional wisdom says people leave because of their boss. I don't disagree with that as much as I take it one step further. I think people leave because of the company culture, yes. which is the boss, the boss's boss, what the president or owner sets up as far as an organizational direction. So the studies will say, like everybody thinks money, right? The first thing people think about is when you hear somebody why they're leaving, I got another job, they're paying me more. Well, that's like fifth or sixth down the list of 10, money. Almost always, it's man- people say they're manager, which is really management. Um, they'll throw in culture. They'll probably throw in something um, uh, like commute or something personal for them. Because there's also personal change too, right? Sometimes they have a, a new child or sometimes there's a, there's a life change. Yeah. That's another reason why I like the handbook. Because management, if people are leaving mostly because of their manager and you have a handbook or a set of policies that tells your manager how they have to operate, you then as the owner get to manage that to a point where you know, sometimes turnover is good too, but you get to manage that to a point where you can manage your culture. So I I have quite a few slides in here about staffing. The reason I did this is because when Desiree and I were talking about what we're trying to do, we said handbook, right, give you guys some tools that you can take with you. But I also, I mean, every conversation I have, inside or outside, and I've been doing staffing forever, but it has to do with hiring, and it has to do with retention, and it has to do with building your workforce. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not a good interviewer. I can interview better. I think I interview well, but I can't keep people. It's all about staffing. So I thought I'd spend some time talking to you about what I've learned about staffing, give you some other things you can take with you. I've got a piece in here that I call behavioral interviewing, where I can actually teach you how to objectively evaluate a candidate. So you don't walk away saying, oh, that's a great fit. I can see him working here forever. That's your gut, right? 
let's get your gut out of it and let's talk about objective reasons to hire someone. And so you talk to them about how they can do the job and why. So if you want to go to the next slide. So I just walked through some of this stuff, but this is like, this is hard. Staffing is hard. Anyone who's ever stepped, I've been doing this for 22 years in the human resources world, but more than that, if you include all the management I've done, business development, and then inside of it, staffing. I've interviewed thousands and thousands of people. I've helped companies and individuals hire thousands and thousands of people. It's not easy. The vast majority of hiring managers only hire once or twice a year. Now, small companies as you're growing, it may be more, but think about once or twice. You're not an expert. Be an expert in your thing. So staffing becomes very, very hard. Um, If you want to go to the next slide. That's right, we'll go here. So I wanted to blow out for you a little bit about the process so you can just appreciate what goes into staffing. There's elements to it. This is where we get really deep on what I want you to think about when it comes to staffing. What's the need? Right? What and why? Which actually has to do with writing the job description. Right? A lot of people will type something up real quick in like a Craigslist or an Indeed or some kind of avenue to look for candidates and then see what comes in and then kind of develop a job description based on who you get. You're never going to do a good objective hire that way. You're just going to find somebody that feels good, fits good, could be okay for your first or second hire. But if you can truly define your need like you did with your business plan, like you do with your clients, like you do when you go out there to figure out somebody else's problem, your problem is filling a job. Do a needs definition. What are you trying to hire? Do a job description. Sourcing and screening is the hardest, longest part of the process. That's reviewing resumes, deciding who you want to speak with, figuring out comparatively, is this resume better than this one? At what point do I have enough resumes? Is it 10 resumes? Is it 20? Is it 5? I know I want to interview these five, but is that enough? Do I want to? Coming up with that plan, which comes up to needs definition, but this is the hardest part because a lot of times you may have a false start, right? You might put a job in Indeed and you don't get the right candidates and somebody else says, have you tried Craigslist or have you tried ZipRecruiter or have you done referral program? So you kind of figure that out. Interview and selecting should be a very simple, straightforward process. It takes about two weeks. You schedule someone, you interview them that week. You want to have two or three interviews A good candidate slate is three to five people to select from, interview, decide who you're going to move forward with. That should be, once you get to this point, it should be very straightforward. That offer process, all things being equal, takes about a week. That's where you make an offer, they respond, there's a counteroffer, you negotiate dollars, you negotiate time, just kind of getting somebody to say yes. And then I added onboarding, which is two weeks. That's about the time it takes for someone to resign. The two-week notice that we all know about, sometimes that's less. But you can see the process, right? These are the steps that go into it. It's a thoughtful, um, intentional approach. You go to the next slide. We talked about this a little bit before. This is what you can't talk about. These are all the things you can't talk about. What's relevant for the job and what's not, right? If it's not relevant, does it really matter how old someone is? It might. I mean, I don't know if they still do it, but flight attendants for some time couldn't be over a certain height because they couldn't fit in the airplanes, right? So you could discriminate on height, which is not really a discriminatory thing. But anyway, only ask questions about the role. Just an anecdote. When I was working at the, because uh, I used to do the uh, environmental science thing at the Space Center, and our company was pretty getting, getting into pretty much a dark gray area on like what a private contractor could be uh-huh. an employee. Yeah. But when, when I got hired out there, they, they didn't ask about the arrest and convictions, but like at one point the guy was like, He's like, all right, so you're going to go get your background check at NASA. 
and you know you can't have been arrested or have any conviction or anything he's like he's like that's cool right right you know but like not really asking but like that's gonna be it's not gonna be a problem it kind of like that so like where's the like line really at it's exactly the conversation where do you want the line to be and how do you want to do it so i always default to don't ask (laughs) <laughs> Are we back to the don't ask, don't tell again? <laughs> I, I'm, I go, to, I'm go to, you need to get licensed. I'm going to send you on a drug test. I'm going to do a background check. Is there anything I need to worry about? You could have just waited for me to go out there and then yeah. to the badging station and then either be confirmed or denied by them because they're going to ask because they're the government. That's right. right. That's right. Um, I have a question. One classification I don't see up there. Uh, if anybody watches billions on TV, yeah. sexual orientation and binary is now a thing, you know, and it uh, circles around the harassment. If I hire someone who's binary and then I have a bunch of ladies complaining, like, oh, they're using the bathroom, then that could be a harassment case I'm responsible for. Like, so how do I ask? How right. Do I Tell the ladies to wear the pants. Right. <laughs> so I just have one question. Now, for our business, I can only hire you if you have certain licensing. Right. So I usually ask that question other than what's your name. That's right. Right away, because I don't want to waste Perfect. time. Perfect. So is that sure? As long as it's part of the, as long as you have to have it for the job, right? So I think um, to uh, Jessica, is that your name, right? So to Jessica's point before about drug convictions or or, or criminal convictions, if you ask the question, you got to be prepared for the answer. And I usually default to, what's the requirement for the job? So if you can't have, so going back to this insurance license, if, there's, there's rules about that. If, if it's a blanket, can't or won't, or you have to have a certain license. Um, to go back to your question, Desiree, about, a uh, good question. So last I read, there's actually, I think it's a case going up to the Supreme Court. My lawyers will be able to help me with this. But there's sex is not the same thing, or it hasn't been defined as um, gender. That's right. Separate, yeah. yeah, so um, anyway, that's all coming up. But you're right. You can't, there's certain legally non-discriminatory things. But if we go back to the harassment video, right, and we think about harassment, this is, this is, in my mind, this is why I say don't ask. Just ask what's relevant to the job. Because you have gateway. You know how pot's a gateway drug, right? So we've got a lot of gateway stuff. Harassment claims can be a gateway to bullying or vice versa, which can be a gateway to discrimination, which can be a gateway. So any of these questions, right? If you start asking about convictions, that can be a gateway to, well, I was discriminated against because I come from a bad part of town and I wasn't able to see the ad and they're discriminating against this population making an adverse impact. It can go crazy. So why even set yourself up for that, right? So yeah, you can, there's ways you can do that, but that's where I, def- I defer to, let's just worry about the job, ask questions that are relevant to the job, without giving anyone an idea that there could be any discrimination or, or anything else. Go to the next slide. Get out of this slide before. Hey, I have one question. Yeah. Um, touching on like, drug use. So like with my company, having security officers licensed through the state, working in that capacity, some working armed, not allowed to be under the influence mm-hmm. of drugs, alcohol, whatnot. Okay. Mm-hmm. How would how do you they cannot have that in their system being an mm-hmm. armed officer? How do you do that without violating HIPAA or mm-hmm. anything like that? Yeah, it's it's a it, it, yeah. Go ahead. So 
So medical marijuana is a super gray area that is expanding into everything. Right. And we don't have, and, and the problem is, is that like, for instance, like, I, I think HR is like not really, HR in Florida has not really wrapped their head around the ramifications of that because one of the things is, is that right now, if you get a med- medical marijuana card, like just as an ordinary citizen, you got to give up your concealed carry. Right. So it does it does modify your ability to. Yeah, well, okay. You concealed can't get carry so it has nothing to do with the security licenses. It doesn't. But I'm willing it's to bet. I'm willing to bet that if you get a medical marijuana card, you probably have to forfeit your security license at least for armed security. Or at some they point, you haven't through, caught up yet. They right. put you through a database. I can tell you specifically, exactly. important. Mm-hmm. It goes into the database for the Division of Licensing. Any license that the Division of License in Florida issues or is responsible for issuing, if you have a medical marijuana license, if there's a, if that's a conflict. They simply won't issue the license if you go disqualified. So when you go get that license, the doctor actually puts your name in the database. Okay, correct. A little separate scenario. The guy has back pain and he gets prescription meds from his doctor. Mm-hmm. He doesn't tell the employer, but he goes on duties under the influence as an armed officer. How do we help can us, the employer, regulate that? Mm-hmm. You would have you would have a policy. Well, it's, first of all, I'll say it's hard to do, right? It's very challenging. To, Brooke, to, to Blake's point, HR, and you're right, HR, there's tons of conversation in the forums <coughs> about how we deal with medical marijuana, right? You default to law, you default to process, but there's still gray, right? There's still how it's, how it's handled. So we are still learning how to handle that. So when we deal with something like that, that becomes a little bit more, that, less gray, I should say. But if there's a doctor's note involved, so if somebody goes to the doctor on their own, and they get prescribed medication on their own, and they have no reason to report it to you, they should have a reason because your handbook should say that. So if they're just showing up, and plus you should have some kind of, I'm assuming you have some kind of contract, verbal or written, that says you can't come to work high, right? right? So if they're coming to work, prescribed or not, right? Medical marijuana, prescribed or not, you're still high. Mm-hmm. So be- Excuse me, medical marijuana doesn't mean you're showing up to work high. No, what I mean is if you're high, Fair point. What I meant is if you're, if you're high and it's medical marijuana, it doesn't excuse you from being high. That's right. That's what I'm saying. So you're right. Just, just medical marijuana by itself doesn't make you high. But I'm saying if you're, if you're high, medical or not, right? Pills prescribed or not. You what? Yeah, essentially we already do that, right? Yeah. So we do it with the prescription bottle. So if somebody goes and, and gets like some, you know, like a Z-Pack. Z-Packs will make you drowsy. So when you get the Z-Pack, it says right on there, do not operate heavy machinery. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't include, you know, don't discharge a firearm in the, you know, furtherance of your duties. But if you get in into some, I, I think it's reactionary. So... You'll be in a situation where you put, post a guy that maybe took some hydrocodone that was prescribed to him you didn't know about. Now he discharged, you know, maybe he does a backflip at a brewery he's guarding Ooh. and then shoots somebody in the kneecap because he's picking the gun <laughs> That's up. That's pretty impressive. It was pretty impressive. Um, if they, now, if you go in the reaction to that, your insurance company is going to certainly perform an investigation. And if they drug test him and find hydrocodone in his system and then 
it's, you know, he's like, well, I had a prescription for that, here's a pill bottle. It doesn't matter because if you wrote your policy so that it says if you take any medication that makes you drowsy, you cannot report to work, you're, as far as I can tell, I believe you're in the court. That's how I would look at it. That's right. I did use the dabble in employment laws. Perfect. Good. Right. At will. Yeah. Quite a responsibility to have posting armed people. So. Right. The criminal law is also there too, because a concealed weapons permit or a security license, a Class G license, is not a, a golden ticket to get away with anything. Right. The law still applies to me. I cannot handle a firearm under the influence, period. Mm -hmm. Even with my licensing, mm -hmm. I cannot handle a firearm if I'm under the license, or if, if I'm under huh. the influence of even alcohol, for that matter. Huh. That's why they right. don't permit you into a bar with concealed carry, a yeah. concealed carry. Huh. Um, there are some, like a private eye license, there are some licenses that you can get in, but even mm -hmm. then there are very strict guidelines. You have to be on the job mm -hmm. while you're in the establishment. Mm -hmm. So generally speaking, the law covers that all the way around. Can't be yeah, but like Blake said, sometimes yeah. it becomes reactive too, right? Because is it how do you know when? So you put in your policy, we can drug test and we can do stuff, but at some point, you know, you can't police a hundred people every day, and so sometimes that happens. Speaking right? of reactive, and this is my last, you know, um, so so I had a situation where this is a little bit different because I was in the capacity of a professor at the time. Um, but I guess it would fall back on the employer, though. I had a student come in the classroom reeking the smell of <laughs> marijuana. And he flat out denied that he had not been smoking, you know. But, I mean, you could smell. It was like, remember pig, uh, uh, pig pen <laughs> on the outside of ground? Mm -hmm. That's how bad, bad it was. I mean, if every time he moved, you could get a different um, level of the whiff. You can tell like the different strains of marijuana based on like which way it was turning. Yeah, I mean it was it was so potent. It was I mean it was, and I had never smelled it to that magnitude before. You know, so when you when you ask, you smell it and you yeah. ask, and they say no, no, I haven't uh -huh. been smoking, but I was around somebody who was smoking. Right, I didn't inhale. Yeah, because that was the story. The story was no, I, no, I wasn't smoking. Right, right. But I was in a car with some people who were smoking, and you know, the smell got me. You know, so how right. do you? What, right. What would be your response right. to that? No, so if so, if I'm your HR guy, mm -hmm. the first thing we do is we look at what does our policy manual say. Yeah. Now let's say we don't have a policy manual or a handbook. I would encourage you to send that person home with pay. That to me is your safest. And at the same time, call Blake or Jessica for legal advice. Call Blake or Jessica. What do you do? Say it again. I have people show up court like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't come to court next time. It continues to be a problem. I don't know what we're. I can't work out the case or do anything on the case But you still do the case. You still do it. You still or you send them home. Oh, continue as in move it. Yeah. Right, got it. Um, wow. I don't even do that kind of law, but I can tell you, every time I go to the courthouse, I always end up riding the elevator with somebody. It's just, yeah. it's like, what are you doing? Uh, you, uh, why gonna, do you smell like this? The before? assumption is if you're going to go to jail, I might as well go with a good buzz. <laughs> so your, your, your handbook, Dominique, and your handbook for, um, for drugs, you're going to have uh, a policy in there, your drug testing policy, 
is going to allow for random drug test or the ability to determine if someone, if, if sole owner or something, you'll have the ability to determine if someone is high or they're not able to fulfill their job and you have the right to put them through a test or send them home. You've got to be careful with that, right? Because sometimes you can't discriminate, right? But, so I would encourage you in, in the absence of that, get, get them out of your office because you're liable, right? You want to put yourself through that. Yeah? That's right. That's right. That's right. Because just because they left your premises doesn't mean that you're, you know, out of it. Yeah. Good. Can we flip down a little bit? I want to. Um, uh, I want to take a second. Go down next one. So I want to show you real quick about interviewing process. But more than that, I want to leverage this conversation into bias because it's a really good point about going back to all of our discrimination, and harassment, as owners and leaders and managers to think about this stuff. But this is where. Um, It'll be probably a separate training at some point. But this is the interviews that I want everybody to learn to do is you move away from all your gut processes, from personal biases and first impression, and oh, nice suit, which we're going to talk about biases, into objective processes based on skills, right? So you've got a real job description. You know what you're looking for. You either have a license or you don't. You either have a permit or you don't. Um, All right, if you go to the next slide. Talk about bias for a second, then we'll start wrapping up. So we talked a lot about, you know, reeking of marijuana or harassment, or as we talked about it, I guarantee we all had some kind of vision in our head about somebody in our past, maybe ourselves, but somebody in our past that we've dealt with or been around that we liked, didn't like, thought was A, thought was B, had something else or other. Those are all biases. Right? So if you remember before I said about we hired from 10 universities, and if you didn't come from one of those universities for a college program, we didn't hire you. That led to unconscious bias in the company of not even, wanting, of not even helping people internally, employees, that came from some of these schools that we didn't hire from that weren't part of our core school. So I want to take just a second, right? Just everybody think about where your biases are and how you can overcome that. Do you have a bias? I have a personal bias against when people chew gum in my interview. Now that's more of an overt bias, right? But take that to the next level. Sometimes there's a bias around, well, schools are a big one, mm-hmm. or maybe where someone lives, right? So I don't know, just, do you wanna have a bias discussion? We can have a cool bias discussion. But think about your biases. When you talk to people, think about your businesses, think about your interviews, think about your employees, watch out for bias. This I'll tell you, is the number one non-tangible thing that gets in the way of you hiring the right person, probably building a business too. Doesn't it get in the way, right? Oh, that customer is going to be this, or well, that customer is going to be great. You might try harder with one or try less hard with another. Same thing with people. You might look at a resume and the resume or hear about somebody who lives somewhere, is something, knows somebody who knows somebody. Watch out for that. Don't let yourself get caught up in that. And before you think about you don't have them, I guarantee you do. I guarantee it. As you're thinking about the high or the, or the um, distant. Like I had a manager. I had a coach through this. And candidly, he never got over this. But he had a bias geographically about anybody that lived more than 50 miles away from the work site. He wouldn't even talk to him. His rationale was it's too hard for them to get here. Who's going to drive an hour to work? Because all he ever did was either bike or drive like five minutes or whatever. He couldn't comprehend. So he had 
an unnecessary, I wouldn't call it unnatural, he had an unnecessary bias against people who lived in that outside of a certain area. And that, of course, made it harder to hire good people. Right? He wouldn't admit it was a bias. He just thought it was rational. So think about where your biases are. So let's, um, why don't we wrap up? Anybody have any questions, things you want to talk about, things maybe we didn't discuss? Maybe scroll down. Can you go down to the, um, toward the end? I've got a sheet of resources. Yes, sir. Retention. Yes. So what are some strong things that you advise business owners to mm-hmm. I know this is a lot about avoiding pitfalls yep. risks. How about keeping employees, making them happy? What are like, mm-hmm. some really quick ones? Mm-hmm. Biggest thing you can do is, is communication. Talk to the people you work with. Um, the majority of folks that leave, remember we talked about culture, people leave a company because of culture. That really stems to communication. Now, some people mistake communication for yelling or for discipline. <laughs> or performance management, but the majority of people want to feel like they're part of something. So communicate. I would also say um, know what you promise someone, mm-hmm. which is to say verbal in writing what's in your handbook, maybe what's in the job description. So asking someone to do something that they didn't know they'd have to do is a big reason for attrition also. People leave jobs because they're being asked to do things either they didn't want to do or weren't qualified for, or your expectations are they'll do it. So I would say if you did nothing else except communicate and know what you've asked people to do, those would be two ways to help with your retention. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, Alan, outside of communication, which we had, from a technical HR perspective, is there anything else that we need to consider when we have a workforce that is completely remote? I have one business, we have no office. Mm-hmm. Everyone is spread all across the country, mm-hmm. either out of their house or out of a... Uh, Customer side. Communication is still big there. Um, I will say that managing remote employees is different than managing people in an office. You don't see them every. So what? So hard. It's it really is. I had a remote employee I really really liked, and it just the mm-hmm. communication was so. And it was a completely uh-huh. a me problem. Uh-huh. I just was not good at communicating to that distant uh-huh. employee. Uh-huh. I think so. I guess my answer is actually the same, but there's different pieces to it. Because communication isn't just communicating. It's, it's learning to communicate with people. For anyone who has children, you know your kids are different, right? If you have a lot of friends, you know your friends are different. You don't talk the same way to every friend or every person or everything. Same with employees. Employees need to be, in some cases, communicated to differently. Some employees prefer, it doesn't all have to be about you. Now, if it is about you, you have to find the employees that understand that you only communicate on phone or email. But people are different. So I would say communicate and stick to what you said. When it comes to dealing with remote employees, too, the communication process, a lot of, a lot of that improved a great deal by technology. So having the right technology in place, having the right. right infrastructure in place, can take what seems to be a daunting or difficult task and make it uh-huh. as easy as if they were working at the desk right next to you. It's just a matter of having the right infrastructure uh-huh. and the right systems. And I would say along that line, clear expectations go with that. So... Do you have any tips? I mean, here we are, we're in this space where we all kind of work together or in and out and may or may not start sharing staff to a certain degree. Some of us have confidentiality requirements. Mm -hmm. And so I really think that this kind of office is probably the way of the future for people that don't have to have a designated storefront. Do you have any tips for sharing staff um, between this? Maybe this is another presentation or conversation outside of this presentation to ensure 
um, a that nobody steps on anybody's toes, mm -hmm. and also confidentiality. I mean, as lawyers, right. we really are have a heightened opportunity. Yeah. So you're right. This could be a whole new topic around performance management, performance development, organizational structure, organizational development. Um, my first tip would be, and I, I'm, I apologize for overusing the word communication, but we think about talking with each other. So coordinating schedules, coordinating expectations, understanding that the person that we hire that might be a shared resource is not only working for you but working for someone else, and you have two different managerial personalities, right? Two different cultures, two different ways of leading, two different types of expectations, speed, quality, right? We like to think that those are, are absolutes, but they're really not. What is, what is fast to me may be different to Blake or different to somebody else. So I think that would be where I'd start is, is um, the over-communication piece of everybody being in a room at the same time. So if Blake and Jessica and Alan are all sharing a resource, let's all four of us talk about what the expectations are. And then I think writing them down, sharing that openly, transparently, so there's no um, miscommunication or no, no confusion is really helpful. I can't tell you how many times... I would say, I would say with, with um, a, a certain degree of certainty, 100% of the performance management problems that I've encountered in my HR career have at some level revolved around communication. And it's almost always about expectations. And it could be misset expectations. It could be unexplained expectations. It could be confused expectations. Well, you said you wanted me working from 9 to 3 or let's say 9 to 12, but, you know, I need to go get a soda. I need you here 9 to 12. That doesn't mean you can get a soda. I don't have breaks in my schedule, which is legitimate. You don't have to offer an employee breaks. Well, the employee thinks three hours. They can, so stuff like that becomes very interesting, right? So what's the real expectation? And then it's up to the employee and the employer to fully appreciate that. I would start there. How do you keep your businesses separate? Or is that something, I mean, what if we're sharing an employee and an employee accidentally Mm -hmm. they shouldn't. I mean, that's actually a concern for me as a lawyer. Like, sure. I want to come back and get a ding on my... Uh -huh. NDA, confidential agreement, just set that standard from the, the get-go. I mean, you have to hire... Go back to the job description. We need someone with a high degree of, of discernment of process. We need someone who's very focused, <laughs> attention detail. We didn't get into it today, but when you get into the interview process, you, you talk about... Give me an example of a time when you made a mistake with your attention to detail. What did you do? How did you handle it? And then you learn how they performed previously, how they acted with it, and if they learned something from it, it helps you determine if they'll make that same mistake with you versus a hypothetical. What would you do if you made a mistake is different than tell me about when you did. So you do that to determine the right hire. I think also to the technology is going to help, right? If you have um, the paperwork, NDAs, but you still have to crush your fingers. Um, you probably want a separate, make sure that you invest in separate files or, or um, you know, file, file cabinets for each of your businesses. They should have separate keys. They should be completely separate. I think that there's at some point, though, you run the risk of when we talked about the dude that comes in high. I mean, you hope that they follow the rules and you hope that they understand how important that is and you hope that they don't do a backflip in their gun discharges. <coughs> I think that at some point, at some point, it becomes it, it's hard. you can do your best to prevent it through these processes. That's what I, I mean. If anyone has had that situation, it'd be great to talk about best practices. But I think that's it's hiring the right person. I think it comes down to that, right? Who are you hiring? Is this person capable of understanding the differences? 
and are you able of communicating that appropriately? Do we have here, I know in the membership agreement, like if we indemnify or we limit the liability of the paper clinic from any IP exposure, that type of thing. Do we have anything here between the members? Because I know that's a concern for our company is a lot of what we do, the intellectual property, it's one-off proprietary products that we're engineering and creating. Do we have anything between all of us here in the space that says, because that's a concern when someone has a client in who's going to walk by to talk about what we're doing in my office. That, that's definitely a concern for my IP. It's in the handbook. Yeah. That's why it's okay. a membership. So that way, if there's any one member who's just lurking outside for seeking information and sharing it with other parties, I don't have to evict you. I just take your keys away. You're, you're not doing any favors for the other um, businesses in here, and it's, it's a big liability. So that, that's the difference between maybe renting a space that's the same concept somewhere else or having a membership here that our members and their privacy and their clients and their field are the most important. So. Plus, everyone here is dope. So. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah. <laughs> and you know who you're, and then you know, encourage this collaboration. So that's why. But so we're a little bit over, but I, I think it's a really great discussion. And I want to give everybody enough time to um, ask questions and go get lunch if they need to and come back for Trevor and Austin's swarm. presentation. Um, but Alan's also on our first segment of our podcast the memo space coast podcast so any type of questions that you have and we talk about it in in our segments you can always email to this and i will print out and have him answer those questions on the spot and you can cool. also tune in live now on facebook thanks to jesse so yeah thank you yeah and since thank we're you. kind of doing like the the, the uh, networking aspect as well just wanted to give a testimonial to Alan. He's been oh, helping thanks. my wife. She's an upcoming graduate at FIT for chemical engineering. And he's done some interview prep with her. Things we hadn't even thought of. Like he knew to be like, okay, well, and she just, she told me this morning, she feels so much more prepared based on Good. his help. And I uh, just wanted to give that testimonial. Because Thank you. He knows the stuff. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks everybody. Thank you. Great discussion. Thank you.